Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, the preening champion himself, Mr. Ethan Sachs. <laughs> How does it feel to be victorious in the Lords versus Resources showdown? It feels great. It was a little, it was like, you know, before we knew it, it was over. As quickly as it came, it went, you know. Um, and especially for me, I feel like I got... Uh, I got got by BK in round one, managed to squeak out a win against LSV with a couple, uh, I think he just had some unlucky keeps that didn't pan out um, against me in games two and three. But then you and Alex, woof, couldn't be caught. Couldn't be caught. I'm a little bummed that we didn't play the third round. I still haven't 3-0'd one of these, and that would have been my chance. I think I think you just call it, right? They conceded, so. They conceded, so I get an honorary 3-0. I think so. I think so. I think that's how it works. Yeah, so that happened uh, on Wednesday night, and both your draft and my draft, plus the uh, two games that we played, are up on our YouTube channel. So some YouTube content for you there as we are pumping those out uh, each and every week. So that's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, how did how did the showdown go for you? Did you feel like it was a tough draft? Did you feel like team draft was a different, I don't know, a different beast for the format? Like, especially with such a high-powered set, it was hard to not pass busted cards. You know, I had a pretty straightforward draft, and I think for this one, more than most, I really just wanted to draft a good deck myself because it seemed impossible to cut people off of good decks with how high powered the cards are. And my mm-hmm. draft was honestly pretty straightforward. I opened a good black card, LSV passed me enough black, despite being black himself, that I was able to be uh, black green, and I shipped. A lot of good white to Marshall, but fortunately for our team, Marshall shipped that along to Alex. So I think my draft was pretty clean and pretty straightforward. I think it's a different story if Marshall moves into white to my mm-hmm. to my left. But I think it was really hard for Marshall to do that because he opened pack one, pick one, Borborygmos, the, the teamer right. colored mythic. So difficult for him to move into white. So we kind of reaped the benefits of that between me and Alex. If I remember to do so, and I have a note to do so, I'll put the uh, a link to the Google Doc with all six of our draft logs. If you're so inclined for some extracurricular draft homework, you can check out all the draft logs. We won't be doing a full, you know, sometimes sometimes the showdown lines up great in the, in the lifetime of the podcast and the set via the podcast for us to review those draft logs on air, but we won't be doing that uh, this time around. So you can check them out yourself. Um, the white didn't really start flowing for Marshall until like pack two. So it was a little hard for him to move in at that point. I think he was too far down the the teamer life for him to to pivot. Yeah, it was definitely a hard seat for Marshall. I had a similarly, I would say, straightforward or, or pretty on-rails draft as you. I got to lucky boy, pack one, pick one, Chandra Hope's Beacon, um, which felt awesome. Though I was like aware I was passing like some good black to Luis. I was passing Halo Forager and Blight Reaper Salad, etc. Um, but then got a pack one, pick five. After taking the black red two drop battle, Invasion of Asgul, pick three. Pack one, pick five, Rankle and Torbrin, which I just like shatter paused at because I, I was like, how is this still here? Not that it's like busto busto, but it is powerful. And then after having sort of steering myself into Black Red, seeing that pick five, I was like, well, I guess we're doing it. Yeah, feels good. Yeah, so that was nice. And then I, again, lucky boy, pack three, I got to open an Atali. Um, so I got to take quite a few powerful cards. And I forgot that I did luckily hate, uh, what is that called? The, uh, that the X four blue draw spell message. Yeah, I, I hated that from LSV in pack three. Nice. I think he would have enjoyed that card. I was like, I don't think I need to pass the guy who loves drawing cards. 
<laughs> an X the, card draw the spell. X card draw spell that I know he said on Twitter. I will never cut this. So yeah, so now the showdown is uh, at six to eight in still their favor, but we've won three of the last four showdowns, which feels pretty good. Hashtag momentum. That's also yeah. a respectable record against a couple Hall of Famers. Yeah, and one yeah of the exactly. Premier drafters in in all of Magic: The Gathering and Marshall. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I think we're pretty doing pretty darn well against team resources and excited to battle them for whatever what's the next set is that the will that be the lord of the rings set i guess i think so yeah okay great well we'll see you uh see you in middle earth folks um well let's take care of some housekeeping stuff and then we can chat briefly about the arena open how day one went for us got a little slap of the wrist on uh on twitter it sort of stuck up on us i did know it was happening this weekend but we probably should have announced it last week that I it did, was happening i did not know that it was happening yeah. and i am ditching band today <laughs> to compete oh! in it. Don't tell my school. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll keep it on the DL. Shh. No one uh, no one from Ben's school listen to this podcast. Okay. Um, all right. So a couple housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show is always free, but we have a lot of sweet perks over at the Patreon page. The base level for everybody who gives back to the show is access to the Lords of Limited Discord. We say it all the time. It's an excellent community of like-minded limited individuals, 24-7 limited tech support. And I do mean 24 hours a day. I will, you know, sometimes I just, if Jonah's a little fussy in the middle of the night, he's, he's a pretty good sleeper these days. But if he's waking up at, you know, two o'clock and it's not time for him to eat yet, he's got to go back to sleep, you know, I'll rock him with one hand and then just a pop open discord. And I'm like, oh, I have notifications, notifications <laughs> at two in the morning, um, you know, or I'll, you know, get a response, respond to Ben. And he's like, what were you doing up that late? I'm like, uh, or what was I doing up that early? That's that's the real question. Um, so there's a lot of stuff happening in the discord all hours of the day. And it's great for events like uh, this weekend, like the arena open, which seems to be happening like every month now. And I love that they're all limited this year. So the arena opens are awesome. Um, and I got to after I finally queued for day two yesterday around 7pm, Jen was putting Jonah to bed. I was like, all right, I got like 30 minutes. I got an hour. If I was like, just hopped into the arena open portion of the discord. And I was like, anyone have any like build questions at me? I'm around for a little bit. So I got to help people with their, their builds, which was really fun. Someone had a really interesting Yorian sealed pool puzzle, which of course, you know, I love to, to mess around with. So the discord's a great community, a lot of great other perks that you get via the Patreon, like access to the show a day early access to our show notes. If you want to see what we've got written down before we record and moving up all the way, the reward tier ranks, you get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, uh, you can head on over to the Patreon page and uh, and give us some support. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So I'm going to ask Ben to join me in welcoming this week, Daniel, Nick, Branford, Jeremy, Thomas, Mental Soup, Dovetail Echo, Michael, Anson, Emil, Lucas, Chase, RJ, Dan, Lionel, Commander's Brew, and Jefferson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by CoolStuffInc.com where they've got cool stuff in stock. And that cool stuff happens to be right now, at least for me, March the Machine sealed product. <laughs> I have been struggling in this format, at least, you know, as far as my normal win rate, I'm probably below, slightly below 60% right now, if I had to take a guess. Started off red hot, 70%. Oh, wait, are you are you no longer one of the top 40 drafters, Ben? <laughs> Not in this format, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. But despite not winning, like I went through a huge 18, 19 draft trophyless slump. 
I am having a blast playing this format. The games are just fun and interesting. It's cool to get to play with powerful cards. So you better believe I'm going to be tucking away a box or two of March of the Machines sealed product. And you can pick up stuff like that at CoolStuffInc.com or maybe singles for a commander deck if you're of the constructed playing mindset as well. So for whatever you're doing on the internet, if you're purchasing Magic the Gathering product or maybe board games, they've got that sort of stuff over at CoolStuffInc.com as well. Please, please, please shop there if you don't already have a dedicated online retailer. And when you do, please use checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off anything in the store and help out the podcast as well while you're doing that because we have a new partnership with CoolStuffInc.com if you've missed that. Um, and we're kind of in a trial period to make sure it's a good fit for us and for them. And we really want to show them that we can drive support their way. Boom. Talk to me about the arena open yesterday. How was your day one run? I didn't see you streaming, (laughs) sir. I was very upset. Yeah, I was hanging with my brothers on Discord, which was sort of the same thing for me mentally in that I wasn't just playing the arena open holed up in my apartment by myself. Um, so I was hanging with my brothers on Discord. My brother Adam was helping me play. I helped him play his run as well. Well, maybe helped is, might be the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> Messed him up on his run, but we, we were on a Discord call together. Uh, my younger brother Sam was there hanging out as well. and They were playing some games, so it was a good time. Um, did three three bullets and had good pools in all of them, I thought. Um, the third one was especially egregious. I had not one, but two Italis. Oh, my um, God. I had the, the White Wrath, Sunfall, and I had the Galta, Angel. right? Yeah, I had, had Galta, and I had the, <laughs> the Boonbringer Valkyrie, the 5-5 the five, oh, five first strike lifelink. Yeah. yeah. My, my deck was pretty absurd. Yeah. Yeah, Ben was like, oh, I don't know how to build this. I was like, oh, it's okay. This is going to be tough. Let me let me check out Ben's link. And I was like, this is legal? Like, this is a... This is, this is before I had started any of my runs. I was like, this is a kind of sealed pool you can open in this format. This is unbelievable like how many if this is possible how many am i gonna have to like just drop reopen drop reopen yeah so i was fairly uh enjoyable day for me how about you uh yeah i had five bullets no like i don't know some like just tough pools and i didn't do any sealed prep prior and generally that had felt fine to me in these uh arena opens to just like wing it but this one i felt like i could have stood a little bit of practice to figure out what you know good decks look like what the changes were just because of the high power level and i think how different your sealed decks looked than draft decks like i don't often draft like four or five color soup very much. Um, but I think you can steer that way in, in sealed pools, depending, and I think are often incentivized to do so. Or like, do you just splash deeper into a third color, whatever? And what are the cards that matter? So I felt like a little bit at sea when I had a powerful pool, but not a clear like two color lane. Um, luckily for my fifth deck, I did get that. I just have a, a very good blue-black deck with double uh, Invasion of Amonkhet, double Halo Forager, and a couple of good rares as well. The Shark that makes uh, makes Incubate Tokens with your non-creature spells, and Ayara, not the not the triple black one, but the one that's a double-faced card. So really good deck there. I'm going to try I'm gonna try a little story time here, because I've had played the most insane game of Magic <laughs> that I've, I've ever played. I could not believe okay, it. Okay, so please I, enlighten. Okay, so I was at a, a friend's house yesterday. I was like going to stay home and do the... Um, arena open and then my friends were like no you should come over i was like i'm just gonna be on my laptop and they're like that's all right that's all right so i was hanging out playing on my laptop doing my runs and then got to three one with this blue black deck and then we packed up and came back home and so then i plopped down on my desktop to to keep keep grinding and then i played this ridiculous game where my opponent had a selesnia deck with just 
Oops All Bangers. They had Pelucranos. They had Karuga. They had Guardian of Girapur, the 3-3 flyer that blinks a creature or artifact when it comes into play or like Exiles that brings it back. So they got to do that on Karuga to draw more cards. They had the aforementioned Boonbringer Valkyrie, the you know first striking angel, Baneslayer angel variant. I feel like there was one other Busto Busto card that they had that I was just like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? Just tons of powerful cards. So I'm facing off against them. We're grinding. I, there's no way I'm going to win in terms of like damage, but then I'm like, I think I could deck them. Like I've got Halo Foragers that I've gotten back with Unsealed and Acropolis. Maybe I can Halo Forager Unseal again, whatever, mill them for three, but they had five cards in their library. And then on the final turn, so they like make this inc- insane alpha strike. I just, I managed to only have one creature remaining, one four four Phyrexian. And then what I get to do is bring back Grafted Butcher. That's the two mana two two that gives your Phyrexians plus one plus one and gives them menace when it comes into play. So I bring that back, mow down two invasion of Amonkets. My opponent only has one blocker. My, my uh, you know, incubate tokens have menace. Mow down both invasion of Amonkets. Both of them come back and copy a Nazumi Freewheeler, which is the three and a black, three, three menace when it ETBs, each player mills three cards. So got that. Enter the battlefield effect. That enter the battlefield effect. Their library goes from five to zero. They untap with all of these broken cards in play, but then they lose. I was very confused. You sent me this game <laughs> log and I responded. I was like, I, I don't think this game log is right. Like your opponent surely <laughs> didn't concede on turn 12, but like the game ends at turn 12 and you're still losing. What happened? <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was like, they don't have any cards in their library, baby. <laughs> yeah, it was a sweet it, game. Well, and because I kept all I was focused on was this Halo Forager unsealed in the Acropolis thing. I was like, how could I? I, I, that's three cards. How do I get all five cards out of their library? And then as the rope is like ticking down, I'm piecing it together. It's just, just crazy. So definitely stole that win. I mean, stole is, it's not really a steal. Like I, you know, I found the line or whatever. Um, But, uh, but that felt really good. And then I managed to rattle off the, the seven one with that blue black deck. And then, Ran back blue black again this morning. So as, as we often do on arena open days, uh, we're, we're post draft pre games, um, and I have I got very very lucky in my draft. Opened the the brood lord dragon, the the convoke seven seven dragon or seven six dragon um, that goes and finds a spell, and and you can cast it with convoke for as long as the dragon's in play. And then just blue black was open. I got a pack three pick eight invasion of Amonkhet. That is absurd. Yes, I have yeah. very high hopes for you in the arena open. Not so high hopes for myself. Yeah, I, bet, I, I was like, I sent my deck to Ben and he was like, I'm uh, trying to salvage a five color Niv-Mizzet pile. <laughs> like, ooh, spicy, spicy, may I see? Um, but we'll get to that draft log later on in the show. For now, let's take a quick ad break and we'll be back with some general thoughts on March of the Machine. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Ethan, do you have much time these days to spend on yourself? Ben, that's quite a question of uh, a father of a nearly four-month-old. The answer is no. The answer is no. I'm spending about 11-hour shifts with, you know, no breaks or random breaks. You know, if he if he sleeps, great. If he doesn't, you're you're back on duty. You can't really stay clocked out. And then, you know, my wife's home. I'm trying to trying to spend time with her. I'm trying to even just like it's tough juggling like Discord notifications or tweets. Like, do I have office hours? Am I addicted to these apps? <laughs> when do I have time for myself? You know, how about you? Do you have much time to spend on yourself these days? It's tough. It's mostly in the evenings. I spend a bulk of my time, you know, giving to students during the school day. And as an introverted person, that's one of mm. the biggest things I wish I'd known going into teaching is just 
how tired I was going to be at the end of school days and at the end of teaching lessons, you know, after school's over, having given a lot of my energy to, you know, kids. Yeah, that makes sense. When we give so much time, when we spend so much time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LOL today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LOL. All right, so we just kind of want to do a little grab bag stuff here, right? We got some, some stuff to talk about with gameplay, some specific cards to revisit, some general draft advice. Like, I think we've got some loose notes here, but I really just want to get a chance to touch base with you. Yeah, I've been feeling a bit at sea in the format in that... I feel like I understand it very well and what you're incentivized to do. I feel like I know what the good cards are and that my card evals are pretty solid, but I've been losing more than I'm accustomed to losing. And I think I've been running a little bad, but I don't want to blame it all on luck. I feel like my losses are coming from not quite surrounding my cards with the right other cards to Hmm. complement them, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I, I've watched a lot of other top streamers this week um, while I was admi- administering the iLearn test at school. That's like our state test. So I had my phone on silent and Twitch up while all students were taking this test and I was monitoring. But Indiana, people- these are your tax dollars at work. <laughs> Sorry, Indiana. Um, but anyway, I, I was getting some good research done and like other people that are winning, I, I'm playing the same cards as them. I was following along in the gameplay, taking, you know, if not the exact same, very similar lines in their game. So I'm not quite sure what's off for me, but it feels like there's some small piece off that I'm struggling to put my finger on. I have felt a similar thing in that like some drafts, I feel like I really understand and I get it. And and this is also so, sort of part of the, the spectrum of drafts. It's like not every draft seat at every draft table has the possibility of drafting a good deck. And so like not every deck that you play will have the possibility to get seven wins, you know, like it's, there's not some sort of secret puzzle that you can solve where you can just trophy, 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 trophy. Like you sort of sometimes have to make lemonade out of lemons. I feel like sometimes I'm good at that. And other times I get lost a little bit. I want to pick your brain on color preferences. Because I think the format has sort of shaken out that Sultai is the place to be, right? And like red and white are behind those colors. It feels like it's it's blue, then black, gap, then green, gap, then white, red. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think when you're pairing white with blue, white goes ahead of green. Like the two decks, the two archetypes I would prefer to be the most are blue, black or blue, white. So so I guess you would you put white third then? Because I'm not I'm, I agree. I'm happy with blue, white, but I'm not really happy with any of the other white decks. Like I thought I was happy with white, green counters, but the blue bounce just obliterates that deck. Yes, unless you have the angelic interventions to stop the dispersal. I mean, if all that stuff lines up, you mow over the blue decks. But when it doesn't line up, if you don't have the angelic interventions at the right time, you lose pretty hard, I think. Yeah. Okay, so so maybe we're not quite in line with those color preferences, but I do feel like, you know, 
One of the things I basically never do, I feel like there have been times where I've avoided a color maybe or an archetype maybe, but generally I don't like to do that. One, because I I personally don't enjoy doing that in the draft because I feel like the times when that deck looks open to me and passes me by, like takes up too much mental energy for me. I'm like, oh man, I should have done that or whatever. But I also feel like as a as a podcaster or content creator, someone who's trying to, to teach people, I don't think, I think there's too much nuance to telling people to soft avoid or whatever, uh, hard avoid a color or color pair. There's too much nuance to how you evaluate that and how you know when it's right to do so and when it's wrong to do so that I just like to steer away from that. But have you been doing any sort of color preference, eh, soft avoiding, red or white type deal? I've not been soft avoiding anything. I think when I don't get rares that incentivize me to do white or red, my mm-hmm. default has been trying to get into blue black or blue white soldiers. Blue white soldiers have been tough to get into for me, though. I, I've managed to be blue black much more than I've managed to be blue white. But I think if not, have you tried in direct- getting into blue white knights instead of blue white soldiers? That might be more open for you. <laughs> oh my God, you're the worst. <laughs> People at home knew what I meant. <laughs> Listeners, please at Lord Tupperware that soldiers is interchangeable with knights on Twitter. Just blow okay. his feet up for me. <laughs> I understand. It'll be eroded later. Sorry, go on. <laughs> So yes, a blue-white knight has been difficult to get into, but I think, you know, if I get rares, I'll do whatever the rares push me, but more than anything, when given a choice for how I'm going to, you know, put my stamp on the draft, if I get to exercise free will, as it were, without, you know, mm-hmm. opening a bomb like a Tali or something like that, I've been fairly successfully navigating into blue. Okay. Yeah, I think for one of the notes for myself in draft is I think I probably could stand to pull the reins a little bit for drafting red and white at non-rare. Like I think I get a little excited about seeing a handful of top commons in those colors and then nothing else coming whereas like maybe I should be staying a little bit open or or I can still take those cards but really not be worried about jumping ship. Something that we've uh, you know talked about on previous weeks uh, for this format, but I think I've gotten myself into trouble a little bit with like sick i've got some volcanic spites and some marauding dread ships let's go and i'm like well but is that is that really what you want to be doing you know and and i don't think it is i think you need a little boost from some higher rarities there yeah i would agree with that but i think one of my struggle more than that has been twofold in that one i usually do find things that i like to do and can win with like that i want to steer towards and and for mm-hmm. me that is blue black and blue white and i haven't again played blue white as much as i'd like but my blue black decks have been losing like and Ooh. i know it's the best archetype and i'm confident that it's the best archetype and i'm confident that i'm playing the good blue and black cards in it i just haven't quite gotten over the hump and i don't think i'm that terrible at the gameplay that i'm you know just making egregious errors something's off and i, I can't quite put my finger on it yeah i i do i have found i mean one of the examples was a, a draft that i did earlier this week where i i, I tweeted it because i did trophy with a, a blue black deck but kind of got bailed out with a pack three pick six yorian because before then i was like blue black is open but i am unclear how i win like i'm un- I, it does feel like there's a lot of different pieces to the deck in terms of you know you've got removal slash you've got some some interaction otherwise in Afar's Dispersal, these tempo plays, right? Temporal cleansing, Afar's Dispersal, whatever. You've also got your instant speed convoke spells, but you have to make sure you have enough 
cheap creatures to enable those convoke spells. But then all of that is like, well, then what are you working towards? You also need some power at the top of your curve or just some power at the top of your rarities. There's a lot of ingredients to the deck. And I think even if it's open, can be misbuilt or can can be underpowered or can miss one of those ingredients. That's what I felt at least is I'm like, I've got all the things to make the game go long, but then I have no reason for the game to go long. Right. I think some of it is you're playing an attrition war, right? With invasion of Amonkhet. Like that's yeah. a that's a really good, important piece to the deck. And I think the blue black decks that don't have that, that to me, at least that's what I'm trying to do with blue black. But then you also run the risk of if you don't play that attrition game right, you just lose randomly sometimes to either yes. great starts from your opponent, like from a really focused aggro deck, or if you don't have the right answer at the right time, you do just lose to your opponent's rare sometimes too. It's totally true, right? If you're trying to do a sort of convokey curve out and your opponent is pressuring you with an aggro deck and you have to trade off, it makes all of your like expensive convoke cards that you were hoping to be able to cast in a couple turns with bodies on the board or like slash if you're put in a position where you're like, I want to pass with artistic refusal up. But then my opponent goes to attacks first and I'm like, how many of these creatures <laughs> I do I want to engage in combat so that I can still be able to counter something post-combat? But then the other problem is the one you're talking about is like that an Atali or a Galta slips through the cracks in terms of I tapped out and I don't have my counterspell up for just this turn or I tapped out and I don't have deadly derision until I untap, but it's too late, you know? Yeah, it's tough. So I keep losing to, you know, either focused aggro decks or bombier late game decks, but, but my decks aren't either of those things, which makes me wonder if like good mid rangeish decks are just not where it's at in the format, because that's how I would characterize most of my blue black decks that haven't done well. Like they're kind of an attrition-y, yeah, mid range control deck. And I, I could like get out to a start, you know, where I play a two drop Thalad, Blight Reaper Thalad into a preening champ into some other stuff and, you know, win that way. But I've also got, you know, all the removal. I've got some of Farah's dispersals. But I, I just keep losing on on both ends of the spectrum. I, I lose to aggro decks because I've gotten behind, you know, maybe my draw is a little awkward and my turn three play is an eyes of Gataxis, which is a powerful card, but a, a situationally powerful card. And if you're in the wrong situation, it's active liability, I think, you know? Yeah, I've had similar experiences. Now, when you say aggro decks, I want to return to this idea that you, you had two weeks ago, I had a week ago, you'd maybe moved on from, and then I'm going to I'm gonna use the D word a few times this episode, Ben, I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about the oh, data. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry. Um, when you're talking about aggro decks, are battles present? And if so, what battles or like, what color pairs are often utilizing battles well? I want to talk about like what you're seeing from assertive decks, what sort of assertive decks you're seeing. I think blue-white knights would be the most common one for me to lose to. And just like curve out tempo starts. And sometimes they'll have the blue-white invasion of Xerex, but more often than not, it's just a good tempo curve out of blue and white knights, you know, the premium commons. That deck's really tough to stop when it curves out and you don't have like the really cheap interaction in your hand. But also, I think just sometimes white red or white green, if you don't draw, you know, one of your two Afaris dispersals or you don't draw your your cheaper interaction. And like I said, if you have the wrong part of your deck, because you have to be willing to play a long game too. you can't just slant your deck to stop aggro. So like your deck has to stop a lot of different strategies. I think when you're playing blue black, it's it's been tough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been my experience too. the battles that are not rare and even not all the rare battles have have performed well but i was just you know peeping the 17 lands game and hand win rate data um a little bit yesterday and today 
Invasion of Amonkhet has has pulled ahead as the best uncommon overall, which is not surprising. The card is excellent, but you have to go pretty far down before you see the next battle. I think it might be Invasion of Asgol. Like a lot of the next battles that are good are the two mana ones. The black red one, the Invasion of Mercadia, the Tormenting Voice one is is very good. The blue green one was one of the higher uh, ranked battles as well. Um, the one that basically draws you a land or a flip card and then flips into a 4-4 with uh, Ward, and, Ward 2 and Trample. So the battles haven't really been playing out that way or like, you know, the, the battles haven't been performing in the way that maybe we thought they would. Have they still been a priority for you in draft? Have they still felt game warping in a sense or have you sort of backed off from that a little bit more i haven't i've been picking them about the same rate since i kind of decided how they played out in the Mm -hmm. if it fits in my deck and it fits well in my curve i'll take it if not i'm not going out of my way to play it but almost every time i lose it's when my opponent flips a battle i mean if if they play a battle and attack it down like it's just such a tempo boost. I mean, you, you have to be able to defend them. I, I think that is true. I, I agree. I, I've had I've, the the one of the later, one of the latest gameplay, I don't know, level ups. I don't feel like I've quite leveled up to it yet, but it's one of the things that I've been noticing is, so if we think that the games revolve around defending or flipping battles, which they sometimes do, and they sometimes revolve around it even in anticipation of, like I felt myself do things where I'm like, oh, I, you know, in normal formats, if I think about racing or think about attacking all, leaving myself vulnerable, you know, I think about, can my opponent gain life randomly to swing the race in their favor? Can they have a haste creature to swing the race in their favor? But now leaving yourself, you know, attacking all, leaving yourself vulnerable is even more of a liability sometimes for giving your opponent the opportunity to cast and flip a battle in the same turn. So that adds to that calculus. But one of the things I've been trying to figure out for myself is looking ahead a couple turns because I found myself, this happens more often when I'm defending battles, is I'm realizing that I really don't want this battle to flip, right? And so I'm throwing resource after resource after resource at preventing this battle from flipping. And I know it's going to happen. I know I can't stop it. But I've thrown so much you know, good money after bad at this point that I feel like I have to keep protecting it. Whereas if I could have seen this inevitability two turns prior, perhaps it would have been better for me to not throw resources at protecting the battle and throw those resources elsewhere. I don't know if that leads to a victory, but I feel like being able to see that down the road of like, am I actually, okay, my instinct is to start to protect this battle in some way, whether that's double block, which feels a little dicey, but let's try it anyway. Or do I just say, all right, you can flip the battle. I got to try and do something else. Yeah, I've not quite gone that far, which I just let them flip it. But uh, along that same line, I think that same line of thinking, mm-hmm. I've been trying to give myself permission to get two for one more. Mm. I'm, I'm so averse to that yeah. happening. But there's so many ways to do it in the format that, you know, if your opponent does it to you, you've probably got cards that can do it back to them, you know? Like some of the games are so uh, like there's big punches where your opponent draws three and then maybe you draw two. Like to the first time your opponent gets ahead to not mentally give up. Like my instinct of the first time I get two for one twice is like, well, this game's over. Like I just got Mm -hmm. two for one twice. But it's not 
been the case in the format. So just like to keep grinding and grinding and grinding, even if your opponent has gotten some pretty significant advantages. That that makes sense for me. I think ultimately just big picture takeaways for me from the gameplay so far. And I have come out of my slump and I've been trophying a little more trophy two out of my last three. Um, But basically, I've decided that I just never want to be behind. My goal is to be currently as proactive as possible with as good of cards as possible, because if you're proactive and you're ahead, that also just lets you defend battles. If you're if you're ahead on board or at parity on board, I I basically am just trying to never fall behind on board. So has that changed some card evaluations for you or some things you're prioritizing? Like, are there different two drops or you like? Yeah, I don't know. Has that been a shift other than just a mental shift for you? Have you shifted specifically? Yeah, I think cards like if we move into individual cards, the first one on our list, Eyes of Gataxis, I really am starting to question how good it is. And I'm sure the data says it's quite good would be my guess. I haven't been on 17 lands hardly at all. But when you're stable or you're ahead, it's great, right? It's Cyril's Packmate. But if you're on the draw and that's your turn three play, you feel almost like you've lost the game if your opponent has gotten to any sort of reasonable start. You know, it's interesting when you look at the 17 lands data and you are correct, Eyes of Gataxius is the fourth best ranked common overall, but five of the top six are blue, right? The next behind Eyes of Gataxius is Assimilate Essence, and the next one is Cyber Cryptomancer. And I have a feeling if I'm going to dig a little deeper into the data and not take these cards at face value, I don't think Cyber Cryptomancer is the sixth best common overall in the format. I don't think it's even close. I think a lot of those blue cards are getting boosted by blue's power overall and blue black and blue white doing well overall, and those cards being part of a good package together, right? Instant speed, cheap things. I think Eyes of Gataxius, you really need to be able to, I mean, either you're you know, playing it on three and then you get to flip it and play a two drop on four to make up for the tempo you've lost, or you've played two drops. I mean, it all comes back to having a good curve, being able to get on board early, I think, in a meaningful way to make up for eyes. I don't think you can just go, oh, sick, I'm slamming four eyes and that's where my curve starts. Well, sure, yeah. But it also is a non-bow with artistic refusal or temporal cleansing. Like mm. there's cards that are good that have convoked that eyes doesn't work well with. And right. I agree, like it asks a lot of things of you in that you have to have a good card or maybe you have omen speaker, which is the thing that, you know, adds a colorless and a blue to help you pay for activated abilities. Like that pairs really well with eyes of Gataxis. So you can make it good. And then the question I have is, is it worth making it good? Like, is that good enough in the form? Is that powerful enough? You know, you've enabled yourself to play Eyes of Gataxis, which is like your cantripping Sorrel's Packmate. It's a little more expensive. That's good. Is that good enough in this format? Or is that too much of a deck building cost? Because that's the thing I keep finding myself in in blue decks is there's so many cards that ask things of you to really maximize their power level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about it being something that you have to invest mana in twice for it to affect the board because so much of what blue wants to do is convoke. And so you have to invest so much mana in it to be able to have a body to add towards your convoke, which is already a sort of mana hungry, resource hungry thing. That's how it's powerful. Um, that I, I think you're sort of questioning of eyes. Like it's, I think we're both saying, I think we're both agreeing that it's powerful, but I think there's a bit more. It's not just raw power, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, and that takes me to the next. I'm going to skip down our list here a little bit, and this is probably blasphemous, but. Artistic Refusal, the four blue blue counter target spell, and then you can draw to discard a card, choose one or both of those. I've had some pretty awful experiences with that card, mm-hmm. like and not even picking it that highly. It's not like I'm second or third picking it. I'll get it, you know, pack one, pick eight, or maybe I'll wheel a copy in pack one. 
and I'll play it in blue black decks with the cards around it that I see other people playing with, you know, that are saying an artistic refusal is great. And I do think artistic refusal is great and powerful. I just keep getting in bad situations with it where I'm behind and it is really not good when you're behind. And it makes me wonder if I'm surrounding it with the wrong cards somehow or what I need to be doing in the gameplay to not end up in that spot with it, you know? Yeah, I feel like when I take these expensive convoke cards or the instant speed convoke cards like refusal, like meeting of minds, which I think is very good. The four mana draw two with convoke. Um, I've been very impressed by that. I think, and I probably should, as we're chatting about these convoke spells, I want to just jump back to our uh, discussion of, of gameplay real quick. So I'm going to put a, a pin in that. Uh, I'll come back to it in a second. But I think once I take a couple of these expensive convoke cards, my pick orders are shifting. And, and another card that I have on this list that I want to talk about jumps up. And that's Nizumi Informant, the one in a black one, one when ETBs, uh, your opponent discards a card. I think you could say Icker Drinkers on that list too, uh, the single black one, one lifelink uh, that you can exile from your yard to make a two, two incubate. I think like these cheap bodies that maybe have an effect or a little like derpy or whatever, like they, they do a thing and then you're okay for them to sit around in the battlefield for you to use as mana for your convoke stuff. They like skyrocket in your pick order. And I think it's why Nizumi Informant is better than we initially thought. Like, I think our week one take was, you know, if the format's about protecting and attacking battles, Nizumi Informant doesn't do either well, but it it does this other thing really well. Yes, except you're at risk of those convoke cards all do require yeah. you to play cheap cards. And then sometimes you draw your two Nizumi Informants and your Icker or whatever, and your cards do nothing. If you don't draw your artistic refusal at the right time, and nab a card, you know, like that's what I've been running into too, is that these convoke cards require you to play cheaper cards or to not fall behind. And then sometimes those cards aren't powerful enough if everything doesn't come together perfectly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely matchup dependent. So just one thing about playing against Convoke, as this came up for me in the showdown against LSV, because I've been playing exclusively best of one. <laughs> and so I haven't had this chance, but I think if you just see a blue-black opponent, you could probably make these assumptions. I had a, a game against him where he kept a pretty sketchy opener. I think it was just a one-lander with a one-drop and then missed his second land. And then he hit his land, played a two-drop, and I had a deadly derision. I was like, all right, I'm going to fire this off, but I'll maybe wait to see if he plays something better. But that ended up painting out really poorly for me because what he ended up doing was hit his third land drop, played a two-drop, and then convoked out meeting of the minds. And I was like, oh, darn. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to respond to this, really. But I could have known this because uh, was it Alex had played against him already? And I was like, okay, so you, I knew that you had these spells. I know you are a blue-black convoke deck. I should have known to fire off this removal spell main phase. So I think if you're against a convoker, you don't want them to have those sort of like double spell turns, especially when they're choked, or to have them have those explosive starts. Fire off that removal main phase. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I will say, too, to, to be clear, I'm not arguing against these cards, like mm -hmm. Artistic Refusal or Eyes of Good Taxes. I do not want to say that. It's. I think I'm doing something wrong in deck building or how I'm playing out the decks that I build, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And I'm sure if I'm having this issue, there are other people out there that have heard, you know, Eyes of Good Taxes is great. Artistic Refusal is great. Blue Black is great and are also having some of these same struggles. And again, I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but I'm sure we will continue to dive into it in the coming weeks. Have you had a chance to play with Omen Hawker, the single blue 1-1 at Uncommon that taps to add a colorless and a blue mana, but only for activated abilities? 
I have not. I've been on the lookout for it like very early in decks where I have Eyes of Gataxis or a lot of the Phyrexian, mm -hmm. you know, incubate tokens. And it's not quite come together where I've seen it um, to be able to play it in those decks. So no, but I am on the lookout for it. And I do think it's powerful with those cards because that's a one card thing that makes Eyes of Gataxis from a, a you know situationally powerful card to just always a powerful card, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl, aka Two Duck Cubed, is very high on the card. It's like basically like, I don't think there's blue decks that I'd cut it from. Um, it's where he's at. I think he's like super duper high on it. And then I went to check the old the old 17 lands and it was I was expecting to see like 46% game and hand win rate and like, oh, this is a like a secret you know nugget of the format that carl's discovered no it's got it's it's doing pretty well so i think I, I feel like i should probably be including this a little bit more often than i do and one of the things carl said is like if you don't have the activated abilities or like you run out of them the fact that you're in the color with convoke means that omen hawker is often often a mana dork both ways for you right the be right the best thing that convoke decks can do is go like one drop two drop preening champion and then play a four mana convoke spell that right. turn and so that's the re that's also the reason the one three uncommon that flips into a three three and lets you exile the top card of your library that's also why that's insane because it enables those strong convoke starts yeah so I'm, i haven't played with omen hawker yet myself but i'm after hearing carl sing its praises i'm on the lookout for it okay aerial boost how highly <laughs> are you picking that that's the one in a white convoke combat trick that gives a creature plus two plus two and flying i keep getting crushed by that card in situations where i don't feel like my opponents should have had it or fired it off or I don't know if I'm too low on the card. I, I recognize that it is powerful, but I have not been picking it super highly. Like, for example, I'm, I still have Angelic Intervention quite a bit higher than Aerial Boost, like not not even really in the same ballpark. And and 17 lands would disagree as 17 lands reveals Aerial Boost to be white's top common currently. I haven't cast one of these, I don't think yet which is, is I think, bad for me. I'm uh, giving myself another slap on the wrist this episode. Yeah, I, I've had the same experience of it keeps getting me, and it keeps getting me in multiple ways where, like, you know, the, the, my opponent only has one mana untapped. They have the arena pause, which reveals they have a convoke spell. I guess that it's aerial boost. But then I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it because I'm like, well, I could block and lose my creature when it doesn't cost them anything, or I could just take damage and then eventually I'm going to just die to this, you know, pre-combat, my creature has flying, you're dead trick, you know? So I found Aerial Boost both tough to play around in like the immediate sense, but also tough to play around in terms of how am I mapping out this game, you know? Yeah, I, that is hard for me to wrap my head around if I am supposed to be taking Aerial Boost ahead of Angelic Intervention. Yeah, but I wonder if that reveals something, at least for me, for my drafting, as I go back to when I end up in, you know, not Saltide deck, decks that don't have powerful rares in them, where I don't have those opportunities in draft. If I want to default to these assertive decks, but I'm not including Aerial Boost, and I'm not you know, utilizing that card that's sort of punishing me, I think that might be a flaw for me. Sure. I, I'm not, I have played it and it's been pretty good for me as well. And I, I do think it is a key to the white decks along with angelic intervention. I just take intervention higher so I don't get to play with aerial boost as often. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. One more ad break and then let's get back with some individual cards to discuss. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and your favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. 
As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. Which makes things seem more undercosted, Mint Mobile or Fires of Invention? Oof, that's tough. Yeah, I bet if Mint Mobile were a magic card, it would be part of the next banned and restricted announcement. That's how good it is. Mint Mobile, please nerf. Exactly. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com LOL. That's mintmobile.com LOL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com LOL. Next card I have on this list is Furnace Reigns. This is the Active Treason variant. Tuna Red, seal a creature until end of turn, or I think maybe a creature artifact until end of turn. Gains haste. If it connects to a battle or player, you get a treasure token. This is the top performing red uncommon. That is wild. But, is, but steel and sack isn't a thing, right? And so this is this just like this temporary boost for flipping a battle, for swinging the race in your favor? I, like, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it, but I there's mean, something there. I mean, if your opponent plays a bomb and you're an aggro deck and you get to play Furnace Reigns and take their bomb and swing out, I mean, that's probably a huge swing, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, and it's not even like, well, it's the top red uncommon, but it's the 30th best uncommon overall. No, it's like in the top 10. I mean, you're always picking Stoke the Flames over Furnace Reigns, though, right? And I'm picking the the jackal, right? The flip jackal. There's, there's, I feel like there's a lot of them that I'm picking over Furnace Reigns. But is that wrong? I, I don't think so. I can't imagine picking Furnace Reigns over those cards. All right. This has been a fruitful discussion about, <laughs> I mean, about like, this card. <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around it. I'm sorry. You asked there's my opinion. Your, the next card I can wrap my head around, which is Beamtown Beatstick. I love this card. Yeah, I am wondering about this one. I have not played with it yet. I like it in theory. But when my opponents equip this there two drop, I feel pretty far behind. So I'm wondering if it's actually good or important in the red decks. I, I don't think it is, but it keeps crushing me. But it's also terrible against Afara's dispersal. But I just never have my dispersals when my opponents put their beat sticks on their two drop, you know? Yeah, I've had really good success with it in blue red. Like Invasion of Kaladesh, I think, is one of the hidden gems of the format. Like it is a, a battle that I like quite a bit. This is the blue red one, makes a 1 1 Thopter, has four defense, and then flips into this legendary artifact vehicle with crew one. And it's a star four flyer where its power is equal to the number of artifacts you control. Like, you get a couple of those because people don't seem to like them. And then you get the Marauding Dreadships and you get Beamtown Beat Sticks, which makes treasures to pump up the backside of the invasion. And you just get Ral's reinforcements. Like that's the thing about what you're talking about. Well, they just dispersal your creature. Well, you just dump it on some derpy thing, right? You play Ral's reinforcements and then you're equipping the Beat Stick to that. And a 2-1 Menace is still kind of tough to deal with in the early turns, not hard for that to snowball and once you're flipping stuff i, I i've liked the card a lot I, I my red aggressive decks that makes sense yeah last one i want to shout out and this is i think part of the missing ingredients that i think mm. i'm going to start including going forward is assimilate essence um in the blue decks this is the one in a blue instant counter target creature or battle spell unless it's controller pays four and then if they do you get to incubate instead i've been pretty impressed with this card and i think it is better than we thought 
And yeah. it is an important piece in those blue black control decks to not fall behind or on the turns when you want to hold up, maybe, you know, your draw two cards, convoke spell or assimilate essence. I think it just adds another dimension to those decks to help you not, you know, get got by your opponent's bomb coming down, for example, right? It's easier to hold up assimilate essence for two mana than it is artistic refusal for six mana. And, you know, you're worried about which creatures you're blocking with in combat then. So I think that has been part of the puzzle that I'm going to start including to see if that changes how things play out for me in blue black. There's a little bit of a nice package of assimilate essence, cyber cryptomancer and flipping incubate tokens, right? That gives you a lot of options of stuff to do for two mana at instant speed that I am just now piecing together. Yeah. And again, I have seen that and I've seen assimilate essence be good enough against me. Mm-hmm. That I've just been pretty impressed with it, and I've I've got to start playing it. I think and picking it a little higher. Yeah, it was I, I first time I think playing it was yesterday in sealed in my seven one run, and I loved it. And I was like, well, this is it makes sense to me why this is so good in sealed, but I also think it makes sense that I should bump it up in draft now too. All right, cool. Now that we uh, are getting into actually navigating drafts, which was <laughs> supposed to be the main topic of the episode. But yeah, I think those conversations classic. were really important to have. Like I needed to talk that through <laughs> with someone. The classic Lords of Limited move is to have our main topic come about 50 minutes into the episode. <laughs> so just some general draft advice. And I think this is probably pretty standard stuff that we've already hinted at, if not said outright, but just to, to really state when you're navigating your drafts, what you should be trying to do or what we're trying to do as an option if you're not on this wavelength. But I think first and foremost, if you don't have rares that are pulling you in a direction, and again, that is my default, like the rares are going to take me where they will and I'll follow them if they're the good ones. Mm-hmm. If you don't get the rares, my number one goal is to try to be blue, pairing it with either black or white um, and blue black control, you know, blue white knights. Um, if rares pull you in a direction, and I think there there will be a good number of drafts where that happens, follow your rares, let them warp your pick orders, but be flexible if you're being cut. Good cards will probably come. I mean, this is one of the most nuanced things about draft in general, but really comes up a lot more here or comes up in a lot of these bomb forward sets, if you will, where you you know start off with maybe the the dragon, the broodlord, right? The five black, black, black convoke. Okay, that's going to put, you have to be heavy black to make that card work. Okay, how much are you willing to bump Nizumi Informant and Icker Drinker up in your pick order? Because those cheap black cards are good to convoke out your big dragon, right? And those are good little role players for a black deck. What hit of power level are you willing to take to take those cards over premium uncommons, you know, and that sort of weighing checks and balances thing is what draft is all about. But it really important if you're going to get cut like that off of your bombs to read the table appropriately. One of the things I've been trying to do for myself is at the end of pack one, taking like a power level inventory. Yes. Like, and do I do I feel like my deck is currently powerful enough to compete? And if it's not, do I need more power? And if I need more power, how am I going to get it? Like, do I feel like I've read the open colors and I can at least expect to get hooked up with some good cards? Or if I'm worried about that, if you know, if I'm like got mediocre blue cards and mediocre green or black cards, and I feel like I'm, you know, being competed with for it, what is my plan from there? Like, do I try to pivot into, you know, an open color like white to try to play aggro? Just feeling that out. And again, I don't know what the right answer here is. One of my biggest questions is, you know, when you start blue or you start down this control route and it's not super open, what do you do 
from there in the drafts because those are the drafts and the decks I've had that are the worst where I've mm-hmm. been trying to be blue and it's being competed for and then you, you're not good at being aggressive but you're also not good at controlling the game and so you just lose to all kinds of decks and I'm not sure what the right <laughs> answer is there but yeah. that's what I've been trying to do for myself at pack one is to really think is this going well if if no what can I do to try to help it start going well and I also think it's worth being like, do I have a, a card that's that's raw power? The thing you said of like, where is the power at the end of pack one? Because you can sort of get tripped up of like, ooh, I saw a bunch of late white cards. And it's like, yeah, but your best card is still Halo Forager, like by a lot. You would like to play Halo Forager at the end of this draft if possible. So keep thinking about the paths of, okay, so maybe I end up black, white, splash, the Halo Forager, whatever. Can I make that work? How do I get the raw power that's in my pile so far to make my final 40 cards but there there also is power in being a focused yes. beatdown deck in the yes. format too right like that is powerful if you make that come together but it's also in some weird way it's higher risk too right because it's it's like the tier two best strategy right the best strategy is to play a control deck or a blue base deck with you know a lot of good rares surrounding it so you're you're assuming risk in that like you're not drafting the best strategy and if it doesn't work it really doesn't work right that's the thing is is like you know in in other sets where well at least i know i can get a red white aggro deck at common it's like yeah, you can in March of the Machine, but it's not going to be good. So it's not like even if you go, okay, so a focused two-color aggro deck may be what I'm seeing, or I got some late white cards at the end of pack one, you're going to still need some good stuff to happen. You're going to still need to do some work to make that deck good at the end of the draft. It's not like, okay, well, I know I can at least rely on that, right? Yeah, it's tough. And again, yeah. I'm not sure what the right answer is there, just stuff I've been trying to think about as I've been drafting. And I think my preprism decks to end up in order of goodness, I would prefer, if at all possible, to be straight two colors and then straight two colors with a, a light splash, like maybe one card, maybe two cards. Then I'm into the good card soup territory. But I think those drafts are honestly fewer and farther between. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not, I, I wonder if I should start picking like i wonder if defaulting to i'm just gonna like snap up the blighted burgeonings that i see or whatever to be able to fingers crossed play whatever powerful stuff i see because you will see powerful stuff but it's not necessary that that powerful stuff will do the exact thing that you want from your splashed powerful cards you know so i agree that good card soup hasn't been a deck that i've ended up very often but i wonder if the fixing first is is part of that recipe. Yeah, I can see it for sure. And then we've said this a couple times, but you're, you're picking the great two drops over everything but the bombs. Like the good, powerful two drops are irreplaceable in this yeah. format because they're good at any point in the game, but they're especially important early. The, the fact that you can get on board early without potentially sacrificing power level in your deck is really important. Yeah, I, I just had a draft before the open this morning. I was like, ah, I should maybe I should mess around in the best of three queues a little bit while uh while I'm dangling this ball over Jonah on his back. Um, <laughs> like a good dad, like a good dad does, you know? Um, so I first picked Glissa, Herald of Predation. And then the next pack, I had a choice between an invasion of Lorwyn, the six mana on color battle. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And some cheaper cards. Like I could have taken a Scornblade Berserker or I could have taken a Portent Tracker. 
And I took the six mana battle and in a couple picks, I immediately regretted it because I saw another one in a pack where I didn't have the option to take something cheap. And I was like, ah, dang, like you really like, it's just so easy for those high cards, those high mana value cards to come. It's so easy for those, those slots to get filled up and so much more difficult for those cheaper slots to fill up. But I also, alongside that note, and I think this is the biggest tension I've felt in the format, I feel that pressure to get the bottom of my curve filled out. But I also think it's pretty bad to have the bottom of your curve filled out with mediocre cards. I agree. But Scornblade Berserker and Porn Tracker aren't unimpactful, right? Yes, Ooh, but they're not here, the here cards goes. That, They're not... Well, <laughs> the classic Ben Wernie, well, um... I mean... I just like, yes, those are cards that you're going to play, but those are never cards that are winning you the game or or really dictating how the game goes to a large mm, extent. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like you like filling your two drop slot up with cards that don't dictate the game is is tough when you draw them in multiples in the game. Whereas like the, you know, the uncommon green one three that gains you three life and flips into a Phyrexian that, you know, pegs a an X3 or whatever, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's not really good, but it's good. Sure. <laughs> Just really fine and good. <laughs> it's very clear to our listeners how we both feel about that card, I think. Yeah, yeah, really fine. But again, like back to this idea of two drops being important, I also, when I'm hedging into other colors, like taking speculative picks to see, well, maybe I'll think about moving into blue. It's really important, I think, to take those speculative picks on cheaper cards because again you you have to have your curve right to be able to not fall behind on board but i also think i don't know maybe i've been playing too many two drops because i have felt tension when i draw like three of my two drops and they're kind of the the medium-ish two drops that i'm not doing good things you know yeah for sure i mean like iridescent blade master is like the poster child the one green two two the pump it plus two plus two for three and a green I just like don't want to play that card ever anymore. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's tough. Yeah, yeah you're like, got to fill out the curve, but with what kind of cards and when do I need to take them? I mean, it's like why we love draft. There's so many moving pieces, but it's it's been a, a an ever-shifting evaluation balancing act. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe I need to play less two drops somehow. Like I need to be pickier about the two drops I play because all you really need is one two drop. <laughs> In the format, you know, mm, yeah, like that I've been overloading on two drops that aren't impactful enough in the sake of like, I've got to get on board and not fall behind too. I wonder if that's in there somewhere too. Yeah, yeah, that definitely could be because to, to your point of like, I don't really care if I get two for one, but like if you're two for running yourself <laughs> by, you know, playing non impactful cards that just get out class too quickly or become irrelevant too quickly. I think that's a real problem. This has been a good therapy session. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Hey, yeah, we're, we're happy to do it. Shall we, shall we round things out with a, a little draft log? Let's do. All right, pack one, pick one. You sit down, you see the following cards as options. We're skipping all the commons because they're not particularly good ones here. There are some good uncommons. There's Sculpted Perfection, the white-black enchantment, ETBs incubate two, and Phyrexians you control get plus one, plus one. There's also Blue-White Marshal of Zalfir. That's the 2-2 Night Lord that pumps them, and you can pay a blue and a white to tap another creature. Both those get rapidly outclassed by our not one but two rares here. We've got Niv-Mizzet Reborn, the Wooburg 6-6 Flyer, that when it ETBs you reveal the top 10 cards of your library and get to choose a card from each different color pair to put the cards in your hand. And there was also Hoarding Broodlord, 5 BBB for a 7-6 Convoke Flyer. And when ETBs, you search your library for card, exile it face down, 
And then for as long as that card remains exiled, you can play it. Spells you cast from exile have Convoke. This might be one of the most depressing rares to play against because you don't insta-lose to something like you do Atali. But you know when they cast that face down card, like that card's just over there smoking. (laughs) And you know when they cast it, then you probably will lose. I just don't understand why you get to still cast the card when Hoarding Broodlord goes away. Goes away? Yeah, like I understand because that's how the card is written, but I don't understand why that's how it's written. Yeah, I think Hoarding Broodlord is excellent. Like Niv-Mizzet, that's a cool bucket list item, I guess. But if you're trying to win, you're taking Broodlord. Yeah, took Broodlord, pack one, pick two. Similarly straightforward pick here. Um, there's no commons or uncommons that are even close to competing with this. There's a Quintorious Lore Master, three red, white for a three, five vigilance. At the beginning of your end step, exile target non-creature, non-land card from your graveyard to make a three, two red and white spirit creature token. And you can pay one red, white, tap Quintorious and sacrifice a spirit to choose target card exiled with it. And you can cast that card without paying its mana cost. And if that spell will be put into the graveyard, you put it on the bottom of its owner's library instead. If you wanted to stick with Hoarding Broodlore, there's like an ether blade agent that's the 1b11 death touch that flips into a 3-3 i have liked that card quite yeah. a bit i've come yeah. way up on ether blade agent but i don't think it's quite good enough here to uh take over quintorius yeah i think so it's interesting to talk about what would so like deadly derision in the pack no 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 I, quintorius is insane so you want so like if it were pack one, pick one between Quintorius and Broodlord, you would take Quintorius. No, I would take Broodlord. Like, oh, okay. Well, because it sounds like you're giving a lot more weight to, you're like, I think Quintorius is insane. You don't, now, okay, I guess my question, next question is, do you think Quintorius and Broodlord can go in the same deck? Oh, yeah. You could just got to <laughs> try hard, baby. <laughs> okay. Okay. I respect it. I respect it. Do you have a sense of which color pair, like obviously you have to be base black. Do you want to be black red splash or black white splash? I think I'd rather or, be. Or am I am I thinking too in the box right now? I think I would rather be black red splash. No, I think that's where my head would be at. That either I'm playing it in black red splash white or black white splash red. But I'm also willing to. I think if you don't take Quintorius here and black's not open, like yes. you just missed out on so much power. I don't think you can potentially miss out on that much power. I just feel like I have. Two pack one pick ones here. Uh-huh. And if I can make them go in the same deck, great. But I'm also willing to play either of them and not the other. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. All right. So take Quintorius here, pack one, pick two. Pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. This is where you got to start to make some decisions potentially. Mm-hmm. So in the commons, to go along with Hoarding Broodlord, there's Nozumi Informant. That's the 1B11 when ETBs, each opponent discards a card. And then in the uncommons, there's a Kenra Spell Spear. This is one of the primo flip cards. This is one in red for a 2-2 Trample with Prowess, and you can transform it for three and a Phyrexian Blue into a 3-3 Trample Ward 2 Prowess Prowess. This card has also woefully underperformed for me, and I'm just terrified of it when my opponents play it, which makes me think I'm putting it in the wrong decks or surrounding it with the wrong cards again. Anyway, that card is great. Kenra Spell Spear. And then there's also uh, SRAM Senior Edificer, which is one in a white for a 2-2. Whenever you cast an aura, equipment, or vehicle spell, you draw a card. And then an Invasion of Ogrotha as well, but I think that's less likely to be picked. Uh, yeah. Four black for a five-mana battle. When it ETBs deals three to any target and you gain three, and then it flips into a 3-3 flyer that grows when your opponent's creatures die. Definitely never thought I'd be taking Nazumi Informant over Invasion of Ogrotha, but like... 
happily if I'm taking a black card out of this pack. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the the Kenra Spellspear pick here. My experience has not been that it hasn't performed super well for me, but I like it. But again, you're so you're sort of you know you're you're leaning further away from Broodlord with every non-black pick. Yes, I agree. But you could still theoretically be black red. Maybe wheel that informant. Who knows? And the nice thing about Spellspear and Quintorius in the same deck is that they want similar cards, right? Yes, they both want spells for sure. Yeah. All right. So moving on to pack one, pick four after taking Kenra Spellspear, you see the following cards as options. There's probably no commons in consideration. Maybe Icker Drinker if you want to stick on the Hoarding Brood Lord life. Uh, that's the black 1-1 one, one lifelink. You can pay black, exile from your graveyard, incubate two. I do think that's actually in consideration, but it's tough because when you get to the uncommons, you see Phyrexian Awakening, which is two and a white for an enchantment. When it ETBs, you incubate four and Phyrexians you control have vigilance. That card is just a house. Yeah, that that's an excellent magic card. You could also, I think, maybe consider Harried Artisan is here as well. Two and a red for a two, three haster that flips for three and a white Phyrexian into a three, four flying haste. But I, I like that quite a bit less than Phyrexian Awakening. I mean, there's a so there is like a weird path. I think it's a less good path. Where you could have just taken a bunch of cheap black cards after the Broodlord, right? You could have taken Aetherblade Agent into Nizumi Informant, into Icker Drinker out of this pack. But like, look at the power you've left on the table. You've left Quintorius, Kenra Spellspear, and Phyrexian Awakening. That's not what I want to do. Yeah, I, I don't think that's how I've been approaching drafting the format. But I think there are some, I'm, I'm wondering if there's some, you know, Sultai Truthers, Red and White Avoiders out there. That would have done that, that would have given a lot of weight to the Broodlord and said, whatever, I'll just take the black cards and hopefully blues open too, and I can draft one of the best decks. Yeah, that's possible. That's where I feel a little bit at sea Mm. in the format, in the drafts, because I'm I'm used to doing that in formats. Like I'm Ah. used to, I found out what the best thing is, and I'm going to try pretty hard to do the best thing, and I'm confident that this is the best thing, but the rares are so powerful but I've mm-hmm. not been doing that very much. So I, some of this is just like a pretty giant shift in how I've been drafting too. I've, I've been going where the drafts take me a lot more. Is one of your sort of existential crises in this <laughs> format currently that like you're wondering if that's right or not? Yeah, I think so. I, but I, I feel good about, you know, these picks. I, I do too. I don't, I don't feel like I've done them wrong, but I'm also not winning at the clip that a lot of other top drafters are. Sure, sure. You know? Mm-hmm. All right. So took Phyrexian Awakening there, pack one, pick four. Moving on to pack one, pick five. See the following cards as options. Power level has gone way down. Yeah. There's a Bloodfell Caves, uh, the black red tapped land. There's a Swordsworn Cavaliers, a white two drop. The one white three one two drop that has first strike of another knight entered the battlefield this turn. There's Hanger Scrounger, two red for the two one with backup one. And whenever it becomes tapped, you can discard a card if you do draw a card. And really, that's a out it i mean there's a bladed battle fan as the only black card which is making me at this point like think yeah well, maybe i'm just not playing hoarding broodlord you know yeah and so you take the bloodfell caves here but like if black isn't open you're you can't like splash it you just keep you're just keeping the dream alive i'm keeping the dream alive i think mostly because i don't think swordsworn cavalier is a particularly good card in red white Right. I, I would say that's a, a filler to drop there that I'm hoping to not play. And I also don't think Hanger Scrounger is that good of a card. Like if red is right. open, I should be getting Hanger Scroungers later than pick five. So rather than a function of I'm really believing I'm going to play Broodlord with all these other red and white cards that I've started with, I just want to keep the 
option open. And I think that's the most powerful thing I can do this pack. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if like, you know, there is a Tetsuko and there is a meeting of minds. Like I do wonder if because you've got Spellspear, because you've got Contorius, is there any thought to maybe you you do a Jeskai nonsense thing? Probably not, right? I didn't consider that. I think you could. I mean, there's a world Mm -hmm. where you're, you take Tetsuko and you're blue red splashing the white part of Quintorius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I hadn't considered that, but I think that is certainly possible. Okay. All right. So took the Bloodfell Caves, pack one, pick five. Moving on to pack one, pick six. See the following cards as options. There's Asunder the Gateway, uh, one and a white, and you can either destroy target non-token artifact or enchantment opponent controls and incubate two or incubate two and then flip an incubator token. There's another Hanger Scrounger. There's Beamtown Beatstick to maybe pair with a Kenra Spell Spear potentially. Um, the red equipment that gives something plus one plus one menace. And then when it deals combat damage, you make a treasure token. And the uncommons, there's two good ones. There's Sculpted Perfection, the uh, two white incubate two Frexians you control get plus one plus one, as well as Nozumi Freewheeler, the three three menace um, that when it ETBs, each player mills three cards, then you can flip it into a, a bigger creature that rebuys a two drop to the battlefield. Yeah, you got a lot of options here. Like, what are your thoughts in terms of, I guess, like, Black seems a little bit more open here with the Freewheeler and the Sculpted Perfection. Perfection pairs nicely with pairs nicely with a lot of stuff, right? Plays well with the Phyrexian Awakening, plays well with the Spell Spear, doesn't quite play well with the Quintorius because you're probably not, you know, exiling it from your yard. It's probably not ending up there. Versus taking like something that's weaker in red or white with like a beat stick or a sunder. I guess you're I guess it's not that. You're just picking between these two uncommons. Picking between the two uncommons. And I think sculpted perfection is better. And I also in pack one pick one, there was a sculpted perfection. Ooh. And I thought, okay, if this one's here, it's not crazy no. that the other one might wheel also. Yeah, that's true. But then also this is another question I have. So at this point, you know, pack one pick six, see the sculpted perfection. I I kind of get a little punished for the Bloodfell Caves pick because I'd feel better about taking Sculpted Perfection here if I had that Sworn Sword Cavalier from the last pack, just as a 3-1-2 drop, you know? But isn't that against your rule of playing bad twos? Because isn't Cavalier a bad two outside of the Knight's deck? It is, but I like I don't know if I have the right rules for myself. That's why I'm in this existential <laughs> crisis, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So took Sculpted Perfection here, pack one, pick six. And then moving on to pack one, pick seven, a pretty weak pack. There's a Pyretic Prankster. The one in a red 2-1 that you can pay three and a Phyrexian black mana to flip into a 3-2 that when it dies, each opponent sacks an artifact or creature. That card's fine. And then there's also Corrupted Conviction. That's the, the black instant as an initial cost to cast that you sack creature, draw two cards, and another Beamtown beat stick. Yeah, I mean, I, I think before the showdown, I would have said Prankster. I'm kind of off Prankster these days. And I think maybe to your point of don't play like these bad two drops, like, yeah, you need two drops, but you really shouldn't play bad ones. I think Prankster might just be a bad two. Two mana two one is such a bad stat line. It's a pretty rough stat line. I agree. But you need twos. What else are you taking here? I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at this draft and I'm wondering about this this blue pivot of like you take a blue card, pick five. Then you could take, I mean, you probably still take Perfection, but I think, you know, there's you could Assimilate take, Essence you could take and Cryptomancer. And then you can take Omen and Hawker. Can take Hawker and then next you get, I mean, you've got Joyful Storm Sculptor. You probably still take the removal spell that you take pick eight. But like Rouse Reinforcements pick 10, I don't know. I wonder if like a blue-red Splash Quintorius life was available to you. It's certainly possible. So 
I did take the Poetic Prankster, pack one, pick seven, pack one, pick eight. This is what Ethan was alluding to. There's a, a Joyful Storm Sculptor in the pack. That's three blue-red for a two-three. ETBs makes two one-one blue and red elemental creature tokens. And then when you cast a spell that has Convoke, it steals one damage each opponent and each battle they protect. But there's also a Collective Nightmare here, pack one, pick eight still, which is wild. That should yes. never happen. Two and a black for an instant with Convoke. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. So at this point, I'm thinking I'm probably locking in black as a color. I mean, it's not 100%, but this is a, a huge nod towards black being a base color, I think. I, I would agree with that, yeah. So at this point, I'm thinking, well, with the way my curve is, I'm, I'm likely to have to be black red, base black red, or I have no two drops, you know, mm-hmm. which yeah. is tough. And then I'm probably just splashing Quintorius. Yeah. Just is fine. Right, yeah. So pack one, pick nine. I get a flitting gorilla out of a fairly empty pack. Pack one, pick ten. I take Rowl's reinforcements, which again, just further solidifies, I think, red as a base color. It's an interesting pick. You can take Rowl's reinforcements or Traumatic Revelation. I have found Rowl's reinforcements as a, a tough two drop, or again, a more situational two drop than I would like. Because if you don't get the Convoke spells and or you don't get like Beat Sticks, if you're not interested in that life, the, the, the one ones are bad. They are, but I've got Hoarding Broodlord. It's pretty great. Oh, there you go. It's okay, pretty okay. great with Broodlord, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why That's I took smart. it over the Revelation. That's smart. Yeah. Other, otherwise, I like Revelation there, I think. And then again, take another junky two, two drop in Thrashing Frontliner, and then the rest of the pack rounds out with nothing particularly exciting. Wheel that Hanger Scrounger, pack one, pick 13, which is you know when you could expect to get that card. So thinking I was going to be base red, black, splash Contorius, and that is what ultimately ended up happening, although I ended up having to splash quite a few other things as well. I am splashing the Awakening, a Sculpted Perfection, along with uh, two Alabaster Host Intercessors to help with the splash. I like those. Those are those are nice to help with the splash. Yeah. Sweet. And have you played any games with this deck yet? Looks like no. I have. I played them on mobile, so they're not registered. Oh. I don't remember. I don't remember how it went. Did you do any, did you uh, do any, uh, quit the game, salt roping? I did not. I have not done that since I realized that was happening. <laughs> I'm not a monster. Good. All right, we got to wrap things up. We got to go uh, play our, our matches in the open. Heck yeah, we do. You got games to win. I've got games to hopefully try to win. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to Cool Stuff Inc. for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there, coolstuffinc.com, or they got cool stuff in stock, please use code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out. On all sorts of platforms, I'm going to point you to our website, lordsoflimited.com. You get links to our Twitch streams, links to our social media. We're both on Twitter, same as the podcast. Links to our YouTube channel that is popping off. I'm going to hopefully put up a little sort of cut together splice of my Arena Open Day 2 run, as long as it's not abysmal and O2 drop. Um, So we'll get that up there for you. Um, So you can hit us up at any of those places. That's lordsoflimited.com. Do you have any feedback about the show or any questions? Shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
I mean, blue-eyed soldiers would be the most common one for me to... <laughs> so, uh, it's soldiers. It's not. Okay. It's just like very clearly not soldiers. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> soldiers in deep in my brain. <laughs> I can see that.